Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello once again, everybody. And thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, March 23rd edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Going to mess you all up for the week here today by having professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from HunterSportsPicks.com on our Tuesday show here today. Obviously, with the different schedule format for March Madness, had to wait until Tuesday here to know what the Sweet 16 matchups were going to be. So we'll break down all eight of those Sweet 16 games, give you some other thoughts on the tournament and all of that as we go throughout this edition here today of ATS Radio. Over at ATS.io, I put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard here to talk about all eight of the Sweet 16 games. You can read that primer over there at the website. Also, my 2021 MLB betting guide, where the baseball season now just nine days away from opening day on April 1st. Very much looking forward to that. Make sure you check out that betting guide over at ATS.io if you have not already. Golf preview up for the Dell Match Play. That's this week's PGA Tour event that actually starts on Wednesday. So you better check that one out right away here. And trying to work through a NASCAR preview for this week as they're running a dirt race at Bristol first cup series dirt race since 1970 so obviously a little bit different of a handicap there kind of throwing some darts at the wall hoping that they stick as far as handicapping that one but you'll be able to read that later today over at the website finally make sure you download the ats app which you can find in the google play store or the apple store full article integration from the website it's a bet tracker it's an odd screen lots of great bells and whistles in that ats app which you can download for Android or iOS. So I highly encourage you to check that out today. With that, we bring on this Tuesday guest, and that is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Doing well, man. Uh, you know, we've had a busy and exciting start to March Madness. Uh, I think we should start it out by apologizing to the Pac-12. You know, I, I think that uh, kind of dumped on them earlier in the season and as I said on uh, my Twitter timeline there last night, I still stand by that for football because, uh, you know, we haven't seen anything out of the Pac-12 in football that that makes me think they're even decent. But really impressive showing from them. And obviously the Big Ten has been terrible. I, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts uh, at some point here. You know, I don't know. There is some randomness to the NCAA tournament. And I think that some people might be overrating how much it means that you know the big 10 sucks you know i think it's still a pretty good conference but you know it's hard to say that the big 10 is far and away the best conference after you what you just saw yeah you know uh, i thought we were going to start with with patting ourselves on the back about rick barnes but i guess we can start with <laughs> <That's> next <laughs> with some of the things that we got wrong here and you know a few things i i think one thing that we can kind of take away from all of this is that the big 10 regular season was a grind i mean you know, you don't have too many walkovers in that conference. You certainly have some home road splits and all those types of things. But, you know, in the Big Ten Conference, I think to a degree, everybody just kind of wore everybody else down over the course of the season. And obviously things very different with the protocols and and all of that. But, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, going through the Big Ten 
was not easy to do. And I look at a team like Ohio State, for example, where they didn't really have any incentive to have to play four games in four days. And to do so in a conference like that is extremely grueling. And of course, they had no energy in the first half of that game. You and I were kind of texting back and forth during that Oral Roberts matchup. To me, I think it's a detriment if you make a big conference tournament run when you don't have to. Obviously, we've seen what it's done for Oregon State out there in the Pac-12, making that big run, getting that auto bid, which was the only way that they were getting in. But we look at Villanova, for example, you know, one and done, they lose to Georgetown, and they've looked pretty good here in their first two tournament games. So I think there's something to be said about that, about, you know, not, uh, to, to use a colloquialism here, not blowing your load too early and playing, you know, four games in four days in that conference tournament unless you absolutely have to. And Oregon State had to, and they've rode that momentum, and that's something we will talk about for the first game on Saturday. But I think there's something to be said about that, too. And, and I don't think it's making an excuse for the Big Ten or for Ohio State in particular, but, you know, it, it's every game, it, it was magnified in that conference for the most part. And, you know, now we get to this point in the season, and those teams just – they haven't had a whole lot of juice. They haven't had a whole lot of energy. Yeah, and I mean, Ohio State was overrated as a two seed. You know, they weren't that good. At the same time, Ohio State, like you said, they had just played four games in four days, and three of their last four games were overtime games. So, you know, they're shorthanded without Kyle Young. Kyle Young was a really important part of that team. Uh, certainly would have helped against O'Banner down low. You know, I think Oral Roberts is, is – Looks like they're better than a 15 seed usually is, but, you know, Ohio State doesn't really have any good excuse for losing that game outright, certainly. At the same time, you know, we've seen multiple Big Ten teams, uh, you know, show up with some pretty poor efforts. Illinois losing the way they did to Loyola Chicago, uh, pretty surprising to a lot of people, not just that they lost, but that they were dominated from the beginning of the game to the end. Michigan comes back and wins against LSU, the only team left in the Big Ten. It's hard to believe that, and then you have all these Pac-12 teams. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the ACC hasn't been great. Uh, Big Ten was bad. Pac-12 stands out as the the uh, star so far. I don't, I don't know who could have seen that one coming. Yeah, you look at the Pac-12 teams here, 9-1 and one so far in this tournament. So a phenomenal showing for them, and – like you said, I mean, you know, only one Big Ten team left, and, and we'll talk about their game against Florida State here coming up. But also, to, to your point, you know, about the variance level of the NCAA tournament, it is something that most people don't really think about. You know, over the course of a conference play season, the best teams are going to be the best teams, and, and that's why they wind up with these high seed lines in this tournament. In a one-game sample, I mean, we've seen it before, anything can happen, and you have a bad shooting night or the other team has an out of body experience shooting the basketball or something like that. And in a one and done format, that is, is what can happen to you. You look at Colorado, just as one example, Colorado absolutely shot the lights out against Georgetown in that first game, ran up 96 points in that second game against Florida state. They couldn't make anything. And Florida state, obviously a much better team than Georgetown, but you get that in this tournament where a team will you know, just absolutely catch fire from three or a player will catch fire and carry the team. And, you know, there is no tomorrow. If you do have one of those bad performances, just ask Texas. I mean, Abilene Christian could not have shot the ball worse really in that game and still found a way to beat Texas. So, you know, those things happen in the NCAA tournament. They certainly do get magnified and overblown. Maybe it leads to a negative perception of the big 10. Once this upcoming college basketball season rolls around, but you know, also, too, 
when, when you play almost exclusively conference play, and a lot of those teams play a fairly similar style of basketball. You think about the Big Ten, for example, everybody takes care of the ball. So everybody had low turnover percentages on offense as well as on defense. Well, here in this tournament, Big Ten teams have had major issues with turnovers. So there's also that, too, where you get accustomed to this style of play in your own league, and maybe you can't adapt to what other teams are doing. And we have seen that kind of become a problem as well. Yeah, I agree. And and to go back on the variance point and uh, randomness, if you go back to, I think, about 2014, when UConn won the national title with uh, Shabazz Napier, Ryan Boatwright, guys like that, you know, I don't think anybody really thinks UConn was the best team in the country that year, but they did win the tournament. You give them credit for that. But, you know, some strange things happen in one and done tournaments. You know, there, there can be some strange results where the very best team is not going to always be the team that wins it. Um, you know, as far as that, I think that uh, it does kind of make a good segue, though, uh, what we were just saying into the coaching standpoint, because I do think that we've been pretty right on a lot of these coaches, you know, because if you think about Rick Barnes, um, you know, had to mention him, you know, we were going to find a way to talk about Rick Barnes here today, no matter what, you know, every single time he gets into the uh, big dance, people say, look, he has a talented team, you know, they're, they're flying under the radar and then they lose their first game or they lose their second game. And, you know, they don't cover the spread hardly ever. I think he's seven and 18 against the spread now and the NCAA tournament, he's been a favorite in a lot of those games and he's lost outright pretty often as a favorite. Uh, the other one that stands out, Adam is Brad Brownell at Clemson. You know, we talked about how Clemson was no good away from home. And, you know, here they go away from home. They play a Rutgers team that really wasn't very good. Um, They find a way to lose that game. Clemson has shown year after year in in basketball here that they peak at the beginning of the season and they're not as good later in the season. Certainly not a very good look for the coach. And then a couple of the ones that we talked about being really good coaches late in the year uh, have worked out really well. And that's Dana Altman. And Andy Enfeld, who's now 9-0 and against the spread in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, those two, and of course, those two meeting here in the Sweet 16. And, you know, Jay Wright. I mean, look, not that yep. Jay Wright's going to catch anybody by surprise, but, you know, everyone wanted to write off Villanova, you know, with Colin Gillespie out and, and facing this upstart Winthrop team that had only lost one game. And, you know, Villanova gets through that game, blows out North Texas. And North Texas, not in a great spot, coming off that overtime game against Purdue, to be sure. But... You know, Villanova wins that game comfortably, hangs 84 on a very good defensive team. And you sort of wonder about Villanova now going up against Baylor, where Scott Drew, you know, has some good teams, but that's a guy that's also struggled here uh, in the month of March in the past. Porter Moser, someone's backing up a Brinks truck to that cat's house at some point. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be Indiana. I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody's going to give that dude a massive paycheck because here he is with this Ramblers team doing it again. And, and just such a dominant performance uh, against Illinois. The one thing I do want to mention real quickly about Dana Altman here, and, and I don't know if this would have been the game plan if they had been forced to play VCU in that first round game that was canceled. But what a savvy, brilliant move to go ahead and play an up-tempo game with Iowa, hang 95 because he knew that the Hawkeyes had no chance of stopping him offensively brilliant sheer brilliance from Dana Altman to to pull such a 180 like that and go you know what we're gonna give up points but we're gonna outscore them and and move on just brilliant from Dana Altman 
Absolutely. And and they kind of decided too, you know, Garza's going to get his points. Okay, let's let him score. Who else is going to score for Iowa? Nobody else was looking any good in that game for Iowa. Oregon's defense had a pretty good game plan in that. And like you, I, I thought it was pretty interesting to see, look, Oregon's pushing the pace. You know, it looked to me like Oregon was trying to play faster than Iowa in that game. And and not many people would have seen that coming. And that's, you know, great strategy from Dana Altman. And he's now, I think, 15-5 and five ATS in his last 20 in the NCAA tournament. You know, there's there's a reason for that. You know, he's a really good coach. And, uh, you know, Iowa has pretty consistently underachieved in the NCAA tournament as well, to be fair. Now, in the past, we've had some people kind of reach out to us with some futures that they've still had live, kind of asking about hedging and, and all those types of things. And surprisingly, we didn't get any of those questions here uh, for this season, which does surprise me a little bit. But as we look through the futures board here, and I've got DraftKings up, so I'm just going to run through the prices from there. Gonzaga plus 155, Baylor 350, Michigan 750, Houston 9, Alabama 11, Loyola Chicago 13 to 1. You still have a Loyola Chicago future live. We'll talk about that in a minute here. Florida State 15, Arkansas 20, USC 25, Oregon and Villanova 33, Creighton and UCLA 40, Oregon State 50, Syracuse 60, Oral Roberts out there at 100 to 1. As I said, you've got Loyola Chicago live at, I think, plus 225, or uh, not plus 225, 225 to one. So you've got a, a great future still live out there with the Ramblers. But in terms of any of those numbers that I rattled off, is is there anything that, that kind of catches your eye at all? Um, what did you say Oregon and USC were there? 25 for USC and 33 for Oregon. Okay, so I... You know, it's hard to say uh, about that game. We'll talk about that game a little bit more in, in a bit. But, you know, I think both of those teams have pretty high upside, but I don't love their path. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of hard to find too much value now. I think Loyola still has a chance of winning a decent amount of games, but I think the value has gone from them. You know, I mean, uh, everybody realizes how good they are now after they beat Illinois. And, you know, to be fair, I didn't see them winning that game outright, you know, um, as we talked about, you know, Loyola being given an eight seed was put in a really bad spot and they went ahead and took care of business anyways. Um, I, I don't think I love any of those uh, futures, to be honest. I think Gonzaga's path has gotten a lot easier. You know, if you could still get Gonzaga at two to one or something like that, I'd probably like Gonzaga, but, you know, it was 150 or 155. I don't want to take 150 or 155 at this point. So um, Baylor has looked a little bit better here. Um, their last couple games, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't see any great value, Adam. I don't, I don't think I'd be betting on anything here. Um, maybe, maybe when we talk elite eight, maybe there'll be something better, but I, I don't love anything right now. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can find a money line rollover that, that does end up making some sense as maybe kind of a better play. I guess Houston at nine to one kind of intrigues me a little bit. You know, I don't think that Syracuse, I don't think that Houston and Syracuse are a good matchup for the Orange. I just don't think that's a great fit for Syracuse. And we'll talk more about that game in a minute. But then Houston would be favored over Loyola Chicago. And I think Houston would have a pretty good chance at beating Baylor or any of the remaining four teams that are there. So Houston at nine to one, maybe would be one that I would kind of consider. But other than that, you know, as much as I like a team like Alabama, you know, in that 11 to one range, I don't love the fact that they'd end up playing Gonzaga. You know, I mean, that, that's, I'm trying to avoid Gonzaga as much as I possibly can right. here. And, and that's the challenging part about finding any of these futures markets that are out there. So maybe you find a money line rollover that does make more sense than a futures price. And as we've talked about before, 
more often than not, the money line rollovers do make a lot more sense. But, you know, that's something here too, where, you know, everybody's talking about how you have all these high seeds that have advanced. I mean, we got three double digit seeds in action on Saturday, plus a number eight in Loyola, Chicago. We've got one in action on Sunday in UCLA, but then also a seven and a six. And yeah, it's great. You know, I mean, chaos is cool. And, you know, I, I like rooting for, you know, underdogs and Cinderella stories and, and, and this and that. But the reality is this weekend of games, the Sweet 16, we want those elite level non-conference matchups. And while we have games with intrigue, we don't really have a whole lot of elite level games here, you know, in this Sweet 16, which makes me wonder, you know, does the chalk hold up this week where, you know, those are the teams that advance to the Elite Eight? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, uh, you see those upsets in the first couple days and it's it's a lot of fun, but sometimes it makes those Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games not quite as fun as they could have been, you know, and um you know, I, one point I want to make is when you talk about the futures, we've talked about this many times before, but you really need to shop around because the prices are drastically different on some of these teams. Uh, you know, DraftKings was uh, 1500 on uh, Florida State and FanDuel's 2500 uh, Florida State, I, I don't hate 2500 plus 2500 I think Florida State, we'll talk about that game here more soon, but I think that's a decent value, uh, you know, even if you just want to try to get out of it after this next game. But um, I, I don't see I don't see anything that's uh, great value here. I think that you know the really good values in the Sweet 16 ones. We did talk about some ones that ended up working out pretty good uh, for underdogs winning outright. So hopefully some people were able to get on something and uh, profit from that. But you know I, I think right now it's kind of hard. I I think uh, you would probably agree that the fact that so many of those 11 and 12 and 15 seeds are in it, it does make the futures value a little bit harder too. Yeah, it absolutely does. That's definitely an excellent point to make there. And, you know, again, I mean, now it it becomes much like it has been throughout when we talk about the futures discussion and all of that, where, you know, there are teams that you want to try to avoid. There are teams that maybe you want to try to attack a little bit. And and Michigan is a team that we have tried to attack. So Florida State at 25 to one, you know, look, I mean, they're only a three point dog here against Michigan. If they beat Michigan, you know, that line against Alabama, maybe Alabama minus one, maybe, maybe a pick them, something like that. Florida State would be a clear dog against Gonzaga if that winds up being the final four game. But, you know, Florida State, if they made the national championship game, there's nobody on the right side of the bracket that I think is an overwhelming favorite against them. So 25 to one may be in line with, or, or maybe even better than a money line rollover price. Yeah, I think that's probably... Um at least equal to a money line rollover price in that case, because they're only going to be a big dog once. So uh, I think that's probably right. And if I had to make a bet there, I think that'd probably be it. But to be fair, um, I don't think I'm going to bet that one. I don't think I'm going to bet any futures immediately now. So uh, it's going to mainly be game to game for me at this point. All right. So let's take a look at some of those games here. And, and instead of going by rotation number, we'll simply go chronologically here with these sweet 16 matchups. And as Kyle alerted me before the show here, Uh, The Elite Eight will be played on Monday and Tuesday. So we're going to do everything that we can to try and get something out as early as possible on Monday, taking a look at the two Elite Eight games, maybe kind of forecast out the Final Four, maybe do something short later in the week, something like that. But we'll try to do everything we can here with this schedule running over into the weekdays as opposed to being the Thursday through Sunday format that it usually is. 
But here in this 240 time slot on Saturday, the first of the Sweet 16 games is Oregon State and Loyola Chicago. This one at Banker's Life Fieldhouse, which, by the way, has been a pretty good under venue so far in this tournament. Loyola Chicago, six and a half point favorite here with a low total of 125. What do you think about this one? Well, um, you know, this one was 126, has moved down to 125. My numbers are slightly lower than this, so I do agree with the line move to the under. It's hard to take that low of a total under, you know. I mean, it, it, everything has to go right. You know, you obviously can't get any overtimes. Uh, you, know, you can't have a foul fest at the end of the game. The other thing that stands out to me as well is, you know, with the total set that low, six and a half points is a pretty decent size spread, you know, and I think we've already seen it because it was, this was minus seven. It's come back to six and a half. Um, I see some books uh, kind of leaning towards moving it down towards six. It looks like to me, I think this number is more likely to come down than go up. Uh, you know, we'll kind of talk about that as we talk about each game to try to forecast where the line might go. As far as this Oregon state, you know, um, they're 21st in offensive efficiency in the last month. I don't know where that's come from, to be honest. You know, I wouldn't have expected Oregon State to be really efficient on offense at any point. At the same time, they're going up against Loyola, who's number one ranked in defensive efficiency for the year. The other thing that stood out uh, that stood out to me as I was talking, um, as I was looking through all this, uh, put down some notes here uh, on some stats that I thought um, listeners would be able to uh, benefit from. Loyola is outscoring opponents by 10 and a half points per game in the paint this year. Uh, Oregon State's being outscored in the paint by one point per game. Uh, Cameron Crutwig is tremendous. Uh, you know, every time you see him, That's you because think, because he's 35 years old, right? I know. Is he 35 or 40? And it, honestly, if you'd walk into a gym with him in it, I mean, obviously he's tall, but you wouldn't think that he was going to be the star. You know, he doesn't look like he'd be the star, but he would be. You know, and the, the guy's tremendous. He's a great passer, really good in the low post. Um, you know, this is a Loyola team that is 93rd percentile in the country in post-up offense. Uh, there's Krutwig, you know, he's tremendous at that. Oregon State only 47th percentile in defending post-up offense. So I think they're going to have trouble stopping Krutwig in this game. And I, I really think that uh, Loyola is likely to win this game. The question is, what do you do with the spread like this? Because I certainly don't like laying six and a half or seven points with a total of 125. I will say, you know, while 125 sounds really low, look at Loyola's games. They have a bunch of games under that total. I mean, they, they have been under this pretty consistently. Oregon State's not going to play really fast. So um, I lean to the under here. I don't know if I can get to the window with a, you know, under under 125 or not. And I think Loyola wins this game, but I don't love laying the points here either. If I'm playing it, I'm laying it in this game. And, and I like a lot of the stats that you mentioned there, some of the more advanced numbers, where Loyola Chicago, you know, I think Porter Moser just does such a fantastic job of isolating the areas where his team has an advantage. And, and that's how you beat a team like Illinois in the manner that they did. I think there is a coaching mismatch here. I do think Tinkle is, is very solid with Oregon State, but Moser is just on another level, particularly in this tournament where – you know, we talk about the importance of coaching and, and it's very obvious and very evident in Loyola Chicago's games. The thing I don't like for Oregon State here is when you're on the type of run that they are on and they were not a good team for most of the regular season. They were a very pedestrian team in what looked like, you know, kind of a depressed Pac-12. And, and obviously we find out maybe the Pac-12 is a little bit better than we thought. The last thing that you want to do as Oregon State 
is to stop playing for a few days. You want to stay in rhythm. You want to keep going. And of course, these teams bubbled in Indianapolis. They can't go anywhere. You know, Oregon State's a long way from home now for the next several days again. Well, Chicago, at least relatively close to home, even though they have to stay in that Indianapolis bubble. I just think for me, it's something that kind of stunts the momentum that Oregon State has. And when you take on a team like Lula Chicago, where you have to earn absolutely everything, I don't really love that situation for the Beavers. So even though this is a pretty big number relative to the total, relative to the expected game flow for this one, I think Loyola Chicago is the play laying that uncomfortable number. I do understand why it's come down. And one of the sharpest books in the world, Pinnacle, in the offshore marketplace is already down to six. I just think Loyola Chicago, both between the matchup and the coaching advantage, but especially because I worry about Oregon State's ability to have that edge, to have that momentum that they've been playing with, having won so many games in a row to get to this point. I just think a long, a prolonged break is just not good for this team. Yeah, a couple points here. Um, I'm going to give a quick plug for the website Shot Quality. You know, that's a site that I've been using here lately. Uh, it's a site that tries to take a look at the quality of shots that you get. And obviously there's some randomness to which shots go in and which don't. You know, sometimes you're going to see teams uh, make make shots that they really haven't over the course of the season. So in the game, it says what the result is, and then afterwards says what they think the results should have been based on the quality of shot they've taken and what their averages are for the year. Um, according to shot quality, Oregon State should have lost the first two games they played in this tournament, and they won them both pretty easily. And to be honest, you know, watching that Oklahoma State game, Oklahoma State missed a lot of really easy shots. Uh, they should have made more shots than they did. And Oregon State can only keep making those fadeaway covered shots, um, you know, for so long, I would think, you know, they, they have really been living right here of late. I think they are a well-coached team. Like you said, uh, Moser, I, I, it's hard to say he would have a disadvantage against anyone. So I do give them the coaching advantage. And in this one, I, I guess my question would be, uh, isn't six probably the bottom of the market here? I don't think this can go lower than six. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect it to go any lower than six, particularly because now you start reaching, you know, that fouling range. And Loyola is a pretty decent free throw shooting team, about 73%. Um, you know, and Krautwig's at 68%, and he's the guy who gets to the line the most. So a lot of their guards are decent free throw shooting teams. So that would be a consideration to be sure. To your point, by the way, Oklahoma State, five for 16 at the rim, according to Bart Torvik. <laughs> five for 20 in the mid-range game we talk about the mid-range game and how it's just not a high percentage shot you know Oklahoma State got a a lot of looks and especially the ones at the rim they should have made and the thing about it was Cade Cunningham zero attempts at the rim he was two for nine from two all of them from mid-range according to Bart Torvik so credit to Tinkle and Oregon State for that for keeping him away from the rim I don't know if they have the same success here with Krautwig and, and with this Loyola team yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to be as easy to keep people away from the rim against Loyola because uh, their game plan is really solid, and I think they'll be able to get there. All right, so let's jump down to the next game here. This one in the five fifteen time slot between Villanova and Baylor, and this one at Hinkle Fieldhouse where five fifteen. maybe you don't have to worry too much about the sun glare leaking through. That was definitely something uh, in the first couple of rounds that kind of wound up being an issue for some teams. Baylor here, a six and a half point favorite total in this game, one forty and a half. 
We've sung the praises of Jay Wright. He got through the first two rounds, now gets a chance to kind of regroup with his team, missing the senior leader there in Colin Gillespie. What do you think about this number here with Baylor laying six and a half? Well, I think um, there's a couple things that stand out to me about this one. First, Villanova was bet against by a lot of people in each of the first two rounds, and they just absolutely blew out North Texas in their last game. So it makes you wonder, you know, is some of the public going to want to bet on Villanova in this game? The early indications are the sharp money has here has been on Baylor. I, I'm assuming that not too much of the public would have bet this game yet. You know, that they're not usually betting the game right away. Um, this one looks like the line is going up. It's juicing toward um, going toward a seven here in this one. I think this will probably at least get to seven. As far as the total, I'm kicking myself a little bit here. My number here was 141 and a half. Uh, this one opened 138 and a half. Probably should have at least grabbed the over. Uh, if for nothing else, then a chance to, to middle this game because uh, I figured that that total would go up. But, you know, uh, Baylor here to me, if you look at the matchup, the question is Baylor's defense because Baylor's 39th in defensive efficiency for the year, but they're 137th in the last month. So is Baylor's defense going to play a lot better? Uh, was that the post-COVID pause uh, you know, defense, and now they're back to playing better defense. They did look pretty good defensively against Wisconsin, but I don't think anybody's going to confuse Wisconsin with a really great offense. Uh, you know, so uh, Nova, even without Colin Gillespie, uh, Nova's a good offense. You know, I think the real key to this game, Adam, is the post-up offense of Villanova versus Baylor. Baylor's one weakness defensively throughout the course of the year was defending the low post. Uh, Robinson Earl is going to get a lot of touches here for for Nova, and obviously he can play in the post or be outside. You know he has that versatility, but I think uh, Jay Wright is a good enough coach that he's going to try to take advantage of the fact that Baylor is not great at post defense. Um, strength on strength when it comes to Baylor's offensive rebounding and Nova's defensive rebounding, I really think who wins the the rebounding margin is going to be a big key in this game because Baylor's used to beating teams on the glass pretty consistently. Can they do that against Villanova or not? I don't have a strong lean on the side in this game. I still kind of think the over might be the right play because I think both teams can be pretty efficient. Um, You know, as far as the side, I don't really have anything. I will say that, you know, we talked about those slower paced tournament underdogs and Villanova certainly fits that in this game, you know, and if this one gets up to seven and a half or something like that, I would lean uh, taking the points with Villanova. One other uh, thing I want to say, Adam, is, uh, this fits a system here that I found in Bet Labs. Teams covering less than 55% of the time on the year versus a team covering more than 55% of the time or more on the year. In the Sweet 16, if you bet on the team that's covered less, you're 37 and 18 against the spread in the last 55. I know this is a small sample size, and I'm not necessarily saying this is a a wonderful angle or anything, but you know, there's only so many games in the Sweet 16, so you're not going to have any huge sample size. I do think that. Baylor is rated um, pretty highly by the market and it's possible Villanova is still a bit underrated by the market. And uh, I think that one would uh, be an interesting one to keep an eye on as we go forward. But I think Villanova is likely to become a bit of a bigger underdog in this one. The question is how high does this number go? A few things. When I look at this game, I kind of lean the Baylor side just because look, as much as I love Jay Wright and as much as I was supportive of Villanova in the first two rounds here, Winthrop was a team that was really a one man show and they were able to neutralize that one man. They came from a very weak, big South conference. 
Villanova takes care of business. North Texas, look, North Texas is a much better defensive team than what they showed in that game. Gave up 1.424 points per possession to Villanova. Villanova, 84 points in a game played to 59 possessions. North Texas didn't have anything left in the tank. After having to win the Conference USA tournament, as we talked about, because of where their seed line fell, they wind up they wound up having to play another game in that tournament, roll through that, play the overtime game against Purdue. I think they were just gassed. So I think Villanova took, got a little bit of a break there in regards to how their first two games set up. Baylor, you know, slow first half against Hartford kind of is what it is. But Wisconsin's a very good team, and they played a very strong game in that one. So I do think this is a step up in class for Villanova here to the point where I do lean with the Baylor side. With that being said, to your point on the total here, one thing for Baylor is that their high turnover percentage on defense has really hidden a lot of their defensive shortcomings. They're outside the top 100 in two-point percentage defense, outside the top 160 in three-point percentage defense, and you just talked about their defensive rebounding issues. So their turnover percentage at almost 25%, and it was nearly 27% in the non-conference, that's hidden a lot of Baylor's defensive issues, which, as you said, have now kind of come to the forefront after that COVID pause. So I do think Villanova can score on them, but I also think Baylor can score on Villanova as well. Villanova top turnover percentage on offense in the country, 13.2%. So I think both of these teams do score. So I lean Baylor with the side, but I I agree with the total move that we've seen here so far. Yeah. uh, I don't think I'm going to bet the side in this one and uh, I'll consider the over. I haven't bet anything for these games. So it's kind of fun to just kind of talk our way through these games and, uh, you know, kind of uh, look at the matchup and see where uh, things might fall. All right, so in the 725 Eastern time slot here on Saturday at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, Oral Roberts and Arkansas. And this is one of two games here in the Sweet 16 where the teams have played each other previously this season. The other one, of course, USC and Oregon, who are in the same uh, conference. Arkansas beat Oral Roberts 87-76 back on December 20th, a game played to 81 possessions. So that was definitely a fast-paced game. I would not expect this one to be played to that same tempo. No, I wouldn't either. Um, this total is 159 and a half, I believe. That's awfully high for an NCAA tournament game. You know, when, when I knew that they were going to play each other, I thought, I hope they put a number low enough that I can take the over. They didn't. They didn't put a number low enough I could take the over. Um, it's hard not to at least lean to the under when you get a total of around 160 in, in the NCAA tournament because the game means so much. I will say that first game, there's a couple things that stand out to me, Adam. Um, Oral Roberts was ahead by 12 points with 19 minutes left in that game. Um, you know, so that, that final score, I think is a little bit misleading. The only thing you can say is Arkansas did go four for 24 on threes and still won by 11 points. So you can look at it a couple different ways. Um, Max Igmas, um was in foul trouble in that game and he did not get to play the whole game. I think he sat out for uh, five or six minutes straight there in the second half and things did not go well without him. Uh, Oral Roberts really needs him and O'Banner to be uh, playing in the top of their game. The question here is, you know, do you want to lay that many points uh, in a neutral site game uh, in the NCAA tournament? That's a lot of points to be laying. I mean, I I don't think I can lay the points here with Arkansas. One thing I want to say, Adam, is I've consistently noticed Arkansas has been much better second half team than first half. 
Uh, I think if you like Oral Roberts, you probably like them on the first half. Not saying I wouldn't bet them on the full game, but uh, if you like Oral Roberts' full game, you probably want to put at least part of it on the first half because we've consistently seen Arkansas not start very well. It's even happened here in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think like four of the last five games that they've won, they've had a decent deficit, you know, a little ways into the first half. We remember that Colgate game where I had Arkansas and I, I figured that ticket was done. And then they come back and uh, win in the second half pretty handily. And then they didn't look very good in the first half against Texas Tech either. Uh, played better there in the second half of that game. I think Arkansas is shown to be a second half team. And that's credit to Eric Musselman, you know, must be a pretty good coach because he's able to make those halftime adjustments. I can't lay 11 and a half points here. You know, I think that's too many points to be laying um, in the NCAA tournament. Do I love Oral Roberts plus 11 and a half? No, I, I don't really love it. I'm curious to see where the money's going to come on this one, Adam. You know, right now it looks pretty even. You know, it's uh, not going to be the public yet. But where do you think this line goes? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I mean, Oral Roberts is, you know, I mean, they've beaten two pretty name brand teams in Ohio State and yeah. Florida. And what people are going to remember about Arkansas they probably won't remember the 17-point win over Colgate. They'll remember exactly what you said, how Arkansas struggled very early in that game. It was still kind of in doubt until about the halfway point of the second half where Arkansas took over. And then Texas Tech. Texas Tech, two for 20 on mid-range jump shots in that second-round game. Otherwise, we're talking about a very different matchup here for Oral Roberts and probably facing Texas Tech. So there's that. On the other hand, look, this Arkansas team – They've only made nine three-pointers in their two games. Opponents are 22 for 49 from three, and Arkansas is still standing. So credit to them for that. As you said, kind of a second-half team. As far as where this line goes, you know, Arkansas minus 11, I think it may go up here because now you've got a 15 in the Sweet 16 round. They're not supposed to be here. No matter how they got here, they're not supposed to be here. Two close wins. People kind of discarding the Big Ten win over Ohio State because the Big Ten has looked bad. Florida just wasn't that great of a team, especially when Keontae Johnson went out. So I don't really know if people respect what Oral Roberts has done here to this point in time. And another reason, in that first game that you referenced, Arkansas had 24 offensive rebounds to seven for Oral Roberts. If that happens again, and I don't know if it will, but if it does, then Arkansas is in great shape here in this game. I do lean Oral Roberts plus 11, getting that 11-point head start. For exactly the reason that you mentioned, Arkansas starts slow. So it should still be, you know, probably it could very well be Oral Roberts plus 11 at halftime still, you know, in terms of betting the full game, because it could be tied or close to it, something like that. I don't think Oral Roberts wins this game, but if I had to bet a side here, it, it would be it'd be Oral Bob plus eleven. Yeah, me too. Uh, if I had to bet a side here, I'd take Oral Roberts. And um, there, there's a possibility if you like Arkansas, maybe you want to wait and bet them live here because I think there's a good chance you get a better number than what you see right now. That's an excellent point. Yeah, you, you don't have to do anything pre-flop with this game where you can just live bet Arkansas because, like you said, they are a second half team. They do figure it out. Musselman seems to be a pretty good head coach in that regard in terms of making adjustments. So I think that's a really salient point there by you. One more game here for Saturday. And, you know, look, here's the thing. Every year, Syracuse seems to be a bubble team. Every year, we kind of poke holes in their resume. We talk about how maybe they don't belong there, this and that. 
And then teams get to the tournament and they don't know what to do with the zone or Syracuse just happens to shoot it really, really well or something like that. And here they are in the Sweet 16. They are, however, catching six against Houston with a total of 140. Yeah, Adam, it's hard to know what to say about Syracuse at this point because year after year, they don't look like a team that really even belongs in the field. And then when they get in the field, they're a really tough out. You know, obviously they're a well-coached team. Bayheim's a good coach, 20 and 12 ATS as last 32 games in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, he's been a good moneymaker and a lot of times they've been an underdog and they've been winning a lot of those games outright. There's a few things about this game that really stand out to me. And I, I'm going to give you some numbers here uh, for the listeners. You know, it's hard to not lean Syracuse plus the points when they've been a covering machine in the NCAA tournament. There are a couple things about this matchup that makes you wonder, though. Houston is second in the nation in offensive rebounding, and Syracuse badly struggles in defensive rebounding. We've seen that even in the first couple games they played. I mean, uh, West Virginia killed them on the glass. Houston's a better offensive rebounding team than is West Virginia. Houston's going to get a lot of second chance points in this game. They're going to get a lot of second chances. Uh, Syracuse also looks like an amazing outside shooting team. They have shot really well here in the tournament, but they're 35.4% from long range for the season, which is only mediocre. So, you know, is Syracuse magically become a lot better outside shooting team? Are they going to regress to the mean? Houston is in the 71st percentile in the country in zone offense. Um, You know, I, I do have to say, this is something that I don't want to get too, too far off on a tangent here, Adam, but um, some people have to understand the context of the zones that people played against too, though, because p- some people were talking about San Diego state had been really good against zone defenses and San Diego state comes out and can't do anything right against Syracuse. Look, San Diego state had played against air Force's zone defense. You know, air force doesn't play the same type of zone defense as Syracuse. Their zone sucks. So, you know, you get up against Syracuse zone, it looks nothing like the air force one. And if you say, well, you know, San Diego State is 90-some percentile in zone offense. It doesn't mean anything for this next game. So I don't think Houston's seen a zone defense that's nearly as good as Syracuse's either. Um, Houston outscoring teams by six points per game on second-chance points alone. Uh, that's a really big spread. Uh, so they're going to need that to be big to win this game. I think they will outscore Syracuse pretty badly in that Um And that aspect, you know, this is one where, Adam, we talk about our numbers and sometimes you you go against your numbers like in bowl season. Sometimes I do it in March Madness as well. My number here on the total is 140 and a half, which is exactly where it is some places. Um, 140 at other places. I think this one was as low as 139 and a half. If anything, I I lean to the under in this game because I don't think Syracuse is going to keep making every shot from outside. You know, maybe Buddy Bayheim just continues to do it. Um, but I don't think Syracuse is this good at shooting at the same time, Houston hasn't seen a zone this good. So I think, you know, the pace that this game will be played at is not fast enough that I would want to be taking it over in a game like this. Yeah. Those were the two things that I was really looking at is, you know, offensive regression for Syracuse. They're shooting 50% on threes in this tournament, 29 for uh, 58. So they're at 50%. They're not a, they're not going to sustain that pace. Also Houston holding opponents to 29.3% from three this season. So that's a big thing for them. Houston, very good defensively on two-point shots as well. Number one in the country in effective field goal percentage defense for the Houston Cougars this season. So this offense for Syracuse was going to regress anyway. Now they face a really good Houston defense. 
that's something where I'm definitely looking towards the Cougars. The offensive rebounding thing is a big, big deal here. And something from at point touch or excuse me, at paint touches on Twitter, they say the team that wins the effective field goal percentage battle in an NCAA tournament game since 2008 wins 82% of the time. So when I look at this Houston team, they're going to do that in this game. You know, they're not a great shooting team by any means, but I don't think that Syracuse is going to have the same success shooting. Houston's going to get a lot of high percentage looks on those second chance opportunities. Houston takes care of the basketball. They force turnovers. This is my favorite play of the Sweet 16 round. I think Houston minus six is cheap. I think this line is cheap because people are buying into the Syracuse hype, you know, based on what they did here in the first two games of the tournament. But I, I think the buck stops here for the Orange. I, I like Houston and minus six is my favorite play of the Sweet 16. Yeah, it's it's not my favorite play here. So uh, you like this one more than I do. I, I I'm scared of going against Syracuse, Adam. You know, time and time again, they've they've proven people wrong. Um, I like the under better than anything else in this game, thinking that uh, both defenses are much better than what uh, they've been playing against usually. So um, we'll, we'll see. I, you like Houston. I like the under here. Uh, I don't think I'll bet Syracuse, but I'm afraid to go against them too. All right, so we shift over to the Sunday card here, and we start in the 210 time slot at Hinkle, where you know Creighton is familiar with this venue, playing in the Big East. They do wind up playing Butler if they run into that second half glare. Uh, if it's a nice day, you know, in in Indianapolis on Sunday, maybe they'll be a little bit better prepared for it. At the same time, as we've talked about a million times before, they are a jump shooting team, so they're kind of a higher variance team here, taking on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Gonzaga, 13.5-point favorite, 158.5, the lofty total for this one, Kyle. Yeah, and without um, going too deep into this, I think you could argue that it's not not great move by the NCAA that they put Gonzaga up against a team that plays in this venue uh, consistently. You know, I, I don't think I'd love that if I was Gonzaga. You know, they're the number one overall seed, and now they have to play a Creighton team that, that is used to playing at Ankle Fieldhouse. I, I think that was kind of a strange move, but you know, Gonzaga is a good enough team that it probably shouldn't matter in a game like this. You know, Creighton uh, played well against Ohio. I think, you know, Ohio uh, teams like North Texas and Ohio, you know, they pick up that win. It's hard for them to win again that next game because it's such a big win uh, for the school, such a big uh, momentous occasion that it's hard to not be celebrating that first win quite a bit and to have less energy in the second game. Ohio played hard in that game, but Ohio was terrible shooting the basketball. I mean, uh, 58 points in a game with 71 possessions. Ohio was seven for 30 from three-point range in that one and 14 for 36 from two-point range, only nine for 16 from the free throw line. So um, Creighton's defense is not nearly as good as it looked in that game. And Gonzaga is going to have a much easier time scoring on Creighton. Uh, you know, Gonzaga's offense is tremendous. The other thing I wanted to point out here is Gonzaga has a huge height advantage here inside. Uh, power forwards and centers alone, they're in the 78th percentile in height and Creighton's 18th percentile. So Gonzaga's outscoring teams. Adam, this one really uh, stands out to me a lot. They're outscoring teams in the paint, in the paint alone, by 19.8 points per game. Uh, that's first in the country. Uh, not surprisingly, you know, this is a team that is just killing people in the paint. You know, you think of Gonzaga, you think, well, they do have quite a few good outside shooters. Uh, Kispert, Suggs is pretty good from outside. Uh, but really, in the paints where they've done their major damage, 
I really don't think Creighton can stop them in the paint. It would surprise me quite a bit if they do. Uh, Creighton's offensive efficiency in the last 30 days is 78th compared to 21st on the year. Um, they were a little bit better offensively yesterday, but still not uh, great on offense. I don't trust Creighton to be able to keep up with Gonzaga in this game. You know, I don't love laying a lot of points. Uh, so I don't know that I'll bet this one, but my lean here is Gonzaga laying the points. As far as the total, uh, my number has this higher than this. Like I said, I don't like taking really high overs in the NCAA tournament. So probably will pass on that one, but uh, I'll lean to Gonzaga here. I think this is a really tough one because as you said, you know, you've got a big number here of, of 13 and a half for this game. And, and maybe it even goes up a little bit. I know some people thinking that maybe this one goes up to 14 kind of inches a little bit higher here, probably for all the reasons that you said, you know, Creighton is a team that they have to knock down a lot of jump shots to keep pace. Whereas Gonzaga is going to get a lot of high percentage looks at the rim. And, and when you look at this Gonzaga team, just simply looking at the shooting splits here from Bart Torvik, They've had 835 close two attempts. They've had 324 far two attempts. And as we've talked about before, it's just a really challenging offensive strategy to consistently take a lot of jump shot twos. And Gonzaga doesn't worry about that. They don't have to do that because they get to the rim. And the question is, does Greg McDermott have something in the toolbox here to try and push Gonzaga out from the basket, out from so many high percentage shots, and I don't really know if they have that capability. What I will say is, you know, when you look at the defensive profile for Creighton, though, despite that lack of size on the interior, they've done pretty well defending both the two and the three. And maybe that just says more about the Big East for this season and some of the offenses that that conference has had. I mean, look, I'm getting a team that can score some points, and I'm getting a 14-point head start effectively with them. So I lean Creighton ever so slightly but this is this is probably the the game I have the least amount of financial investment in here for this weekend. But I am curious to see, you know, how Gonzaga does. Kind of, I guess I would say stepping up a little bit. I mean, you know, when you look at this team, this Creighton team, it's 20th, according to Bart Torvik. They haven't played a team that good since right around Christmas time. So I'm curious to see how Gonzaga answers the bell against a team that is, is clearly better than Oklahoma. Yeah, definitely a, a step up in class. Um, and I believe this line is, I think the Oklahoma line was 14 and a half. And I know that came into factor at the end of the game. Uh, wow. That was crazy with the uh, flagrant foul in the last minute. And uh, that changed uh, uh, money changed hands quite a bit on that play, certainly, but uh, it's kind of surprising to see only a one point difference in the spread because Creighton is clearly better than Oklahoma. I think Creighton's form has been pretty poor recently. So I, I think that's goes into this, um, you know, I know that you could possibly say that that makes this line inflated. Um, I don't trust Creighton that much. You know, I, I don't think Creighton is a great team. They're so jump shot reliant. And I do think Gonzaga will score fairly easily in this game. I do think this line probably goes up. So I think if you like Creighton, you should be able to get a 14 or maybe even 14 and a half. All right. So let's take a look at the next game here. And, and this one, you know, maybe the most intriguing from a competitiveness standpoint Florida State and Michigan, the 5 o'clock Eastern tip-off on Sunday. This one at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Again, a place where Michigan is very accustomed to playing, you know, playing the Big Ten tournament there several years in a row and and all of that. And this Florida State team, I mean, look, we, we've talked about it. They're tall. They're athletic. We kind of at times have some questions about Leonard Hamilton, but 
This one is only Michigan minus three here, total 144 and a half. We were sort of breaking down the futures, you know, in this bracket, in this region. We were talking about Michigan maybe being a three and a half point favorite against Florida State. And this one even comes out three where, you know, I don't know if it's anti-Big Ten sentiment. I don't know if it's anti-Michigan sentiment without Isaiah Livers, but it does look like Florida State is getting some respect here. Yeah, you know, I want to take Florida State in this game, but only getting three points is disappointing to me. You know, I I wanted to get at least three and a half, maybe four points, uh, because I do think this will be a close game. I still lean Florida State in this game. Like I said, I haven't bet any of these yet. Florida State is one of my possible plays for this this weekend. I think Michigan's a good team. I, I really do. And I think Howard's done a great job. He has some great assistant coaches. Um, Martelli's helped him a lot. I think Michigan's a very good team. I think Florida State is a matchup um, problem for them. You know, Florida State has the height that a lot of teams don't have. Um, you know, I have to say Dickinson versus Kupravica, uh for um, – Florida State, seven foot one versus seven foot one should be quite a bit of fun. You know, I, I think that uh, Michigan's upside is not quite as high without Livers. LSU is great offensively versus Michigan. Let's let's be honest, them LSU barely even tries on defense, it seems. You know, they, they give up a ton of points against everybody. Florida State defensively for the year has not been great. But if you look at past past years, Florida State's been really good defensively. They have a ton of height. And if you look at the last month, Florida State ranks in the top 12 and just about every defensive category. So Florida State has really improved a lot defensively here late in the season. Um, Michigan is 97th percentile within five feet of the basket on offense. Florida State's 95th percentile defending inside five feet. So you have strength on strength in that one. Um, Opponents are really shooting a lot of threes against Florida State, mainly because they're so tall. Michigan shoots 38.5% from long range. Now, they're going to have taller guys guarding them than they're used to, uh, so it won't be quite as easy of a shot. But I think Michigan will shoot a lot of threes here. You know, in a game with a lot of threes, there's more variance, certainly. Um, I have to say, I think Florida State is is my lean in this one. I think Florida State has a decent chance to win this game outright. Uh, Michigan, a good team, but I think a team that, like I said, is upside is a bit limited. The concern I would have for Florida State is Florida State turns over the ball quite a bit. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that I'm not, you know, loving Florida State in a game like this because, you know, turnovers can really hurt you quite a bit. Uh, Florida State's good on the offensive glass, but gives up a lot of second-chance points uh, because they're not great defensive rebounding-wise. Uh, in this one, I like Florida State some. Uh, I kind of like the under a little bit, but now the line's been going down. Uh, so at 143.5, I think this was 145 last night. So we, we've already seen it move down. There's there's plenty of 144s. I think this line, if anything, on the total um, moves down even a little bit more because Florida State has had two really low-scoring games in the tournament. I know Michigan scored a lot in that last game, but that was LSU. So um, pretty strong lean here to Florida State for me. Yeah, I mean, this is the spot that I had circled. You know, I, I said I thought there was a chance Michigan could lose to LSU, and, and frankly, they could have. I mean, LSU only had three turnovers yeah. in that game. They took 69 shots from the floor compared to 52 for Michigan. The problem is LSU didn't knock down enough of their shots, took far too many mid-range jumpers, wound up being a problem for them. They took 32 far twos in that game, according to Bart Torvik, and it's very hard to beat you know, a Michigan team with an efficient offense if you're not taking efficient shots. And that's what wound up really hurting LSU in that game. 
But this is the one I had circled. This is the spot where I thought Michigan was most vulnerable for all the reasons that you just talked about. You know, the height thing is a big deal. And for Michigan, look, Florida State has that turnover issue, but Michigan, 338th in the country in turnover percentage on defense. And maybe that's just a byproduct of the environment in the Big Ten. Maybe you don't play as aggressively because teams just take great care of the basketball. Maybe Michigan changes that up in this game and kind of looks for more of those steals, more of those transition points. But I don't think that they do. So I don't think Florida State's turnover problem is as big of a deal in this matchup as maybe it would be in a different one. So I think you're kind of looking at, you know, strength versus strength, mono on mono type of basketball here. And I think Florida State can win that. So, you know, again, like you, I wish it was higher than plus three. Maybe I would just go ahead and, and give the money line a shot here in this one. Uh, you know, do still have uh, Florida State to make the Elite Eight live in this bracket. So still trying to decide what I want to do with that. But, you know, for me, it, it's one of those things where I, I don't love this matchup for Michigan. I just don't. Yeah, I, I don't either. I think both of us like Florida State a decent amount in this game. And I will say, I don't really think we're going to get better than than plus three do you i mean i think this line uh you know is probably about as good as it's going to be for florida state because the big 10 has played so poorly it's hard to imagine a bunch of people uh, lining up to lay the points here with michigan yeah that's a really interesting thing i I, i'm not sure because you know it's not like the acc's played all that well either you know i mean i know syracuse has gotten to the sweet 16 and all that but it was a conference that a lot of people were down on in the regular season to begin with so I don't know. I mean, this one may get a lot of really good two-way action written on it. And I think that's what the books are kind of hoping for, where maybe they put some of their decisions on some of the other games this weekend and kind of hope to balance this one out and, you know, not get burned too badly either way. But yeah, it's a, it's a good question, you know, whether or not this one goes to three and a half, doesn't come down at all. Uh, definitely an interesting one to be sure here. And, and, and a great matchup too. You know, like we talked about at the top where, upsets are great but sometimes you don't get these great sweet 16 games i think this is kind of your quintessential this is the sweet 16 type of game you want to see matchup and i'm looking forward to it yeah i am too i think this is one of the best games uh oregon usc should be a really good game we'll talk about that one soon too but um this is a a lot of strength versus strength and uh it would be surprising if this game wasn't close throughout so um, I think three probably is about where the line stays. Cause like you said, I think there'll be some pretty good two-way action. All right. Seven fifteen Eastern time on Sunday here, UCLA and Alabama in the East region. This one also at Hinkle field house here and UCLA, maybe a bit of a surprise team, making it to the sweet 16 here, I guess you could say, but at the same time, you know, I mean, they, they knock off BYU, a BYU team that I liked, but they just wound up having a really bad performance. Then UCLA gets, fortunate to face an Abilene Christian team that that clearly had nothing left in the tank by the time that game actually rolled around but now they run into Alabama and and you've got the pace war here you know you've got this Alabama team that I don't think people realize how good Alabama actually is defensively because they just score a bunch of points I'll tell you what you know I, I like Houston a lot in that game against Syracuse but I'll go ahead and throw the spoiler alert on this one I like Alabama quite a bit here too yeah, I like Alabama in this one as well. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to call myself out here. Sometimes we talk about my wins and we talk about my losses as well. I had Alabama under uh, against Maryland, and I've done well in the NCAA tournament so far, but what a terrible play that was. You know, that was uh, that was the one where 
I was watching it on one of the TVs and at one point just, you know, chucked the remote and turned that one off because, you know, that was, that thing had no chance. The, the problem with Alabama games is they shoot so many threes. If they're on, it could be really high scoring. If they're off, their defense is good enough that you can have a really low scoring game. So I think totals with them probably, I'm going to try to stay away from, but UCLA, the question here is, do you believe that UCLA has actually gotten way better here at the end of the season? I'm not sure that they've gotten way better at the end of the season as much as they've been a bit fortunate with who they played. Look, Michigan State was not very good. You know, I think we, we knew Michigan State wasn't that good. Um, they won in overtime against Michigan State. Uh, they won against BYU. Again, like I said, with the, you know, quality of shots thing, shot quality actually thinks that game should have been just about exactly tied. And, and instead, uh, you know, they win by 11 points. So BYU missed a lot of shots that they usually would make. And then Abilene Christian, I mean, they went about eight or nine minutes without scoring a single point at one point in that game. So UCLA was never troubled in that game. I think UCLA offensively has been really efficient here. They're 12th in the nation in efficiency offensively. But like you said, Alabama is really good defensively. They're third in defensive efficiency. And I just don't see UCLA having a great time scoring in this game. We've seen the total go up really quickly. Like I said, you know, I kind of have, uh, you know, a inclination to try to stay away from the total in this game based on what just happened to me. However, this total is up to 145 and a half when it opened at 142 and a half. Just a cautionary note about taking the over. Uh, the over is just not free in a game like this because if Bama's not hitting their threes, they can still win with defense. And if this total just keeps going up and up, it's going to get awfully high here compared to what I would make this total. So, um, Bama minus the points, uh, I agree, is a pretty strong lean for me. Um, I'm going to stay away from the total in this game, but I do think that UCLA has improved, but I don't think UCLA's upside is even close to as high as Bama. So if both teams show up here, I think Bama could win this one with ease. Yeah, and this one is showing five and a half out there now with Alabama, the favorite. So we have seen a little bit of UCLA investment uh, since I finished putting up my Sweet 16 Primer article over at ATS.io, where I do cite Alabama minus six as the play that I like here. And, you know, for UCLA, one of the big things here in this tournament is that they've really taken excellent care of the basketball. You know, Michigan State, another one of those Big Ten teams that doesn't really turn anybody over, that wound up being a problem in that overtime game. BYU, you know, they're a team that does not turn anybody over. They're 326th in the country in turnover percentage. So UCLA took care of the basketball there. And Abilene does force a ton of turnovers, but they just didn't really have the legs in that one. Alabama, they forced turnovers, so they could get some extra possessions here. They're good on the offensive window. And you know, look, this is a situation to me where Mick Cronin is, is starting to take everything over there with UCLA. They're starting to play more of this slow-tempo, physical brand of basketball, but they're not quite there yet. I don't think that they can dictate the tempo of this game and keep it around 62, 63 possessions like they'd really love to, I don't think Alabama allows them to do that. And as long as Alabama doesn't shoot god-awful from the field, and I don't think that they will, I think they've got a great opportunity to cover this one between the extra possessions and just simply the fact that I think their style of play will win out in this one. So uh, Alabama definitely decide that I like there in that one. Last game here, the late game. Pac-12 matchup in the Sweet 16. Oregon and USC in the West region. 
Banker's Life Fieldhouse for this one, which again uh, has been a pretty good under venue so far in the tournament. These two teams only played once during the regular season. It was pretty much your full strength Oregon team and USC beat them 72 to 58 in LA. You think this one goes differently where USC now a two and a half point favorite with some money coming in on them this morning and a total of 140. This is a fascinating game. I think this is tremendous. I'm, I'm looking forward to this game very much. You know, two really good head coaches. Uh, I don't want to bet against either of these guys. So I'm not betting the side in this game. I will tell you, though, this this line keeps going up, and it looks like everybody is betting on USC. Uh, I think this is USC ran Kansas out of the gym. I mean, to be fair, Oregon played really good against Iowa, too. So it's kind of surprising to me that the line has gone from one up to two and a half with no resistance. You know, uh, do we think this one's going to go to three or three and a half? I mean, this there's got to be a buyback at some point because Oregon's a really good team, too. I mean, if this one would get two, three or three and a half, I would have to think about playing Oregon in this game. As far as uh, from my standpoint, though, I like the under some in this game, and I, I think I might get even a better number. Last night, this was 138 and a half. Uh, now 139, 139 and a half. I see, even see a couple 140s. So I think under is a good way to look at this game. You know, if you look at the first game that they played against each other, USC just blew Oregon out right away. Um, it was 19 to 5, 10 minutes into the game in that one. And to be fair to USC, um, they won that game with Isaiah Mobley not playing. So, you know, they only had one of the Mobley brothers in that game. And and Oregon was not playing at their best at that point. I think they're clearly a better team at this point. But I think the fact that Oregon played so fast against Iowa uh, and it was so high scoring and the fact that USC shot absolutely lights out against Kansas. I mean, they were they were playing extremely well offensively. They shot 11 for 18 from three-point range. I don't think they can duplicate that. Uh, they, can, they can do that again. So I, the, to me... This is a USC team that is really good defensively. They're number one in the nation in two-point defense. Um, a lot of height, very good uh, defensively. Oregon, uh, you know, shoots it pretty well from three, has been good from two as well. Neither of these teams um, foul very much. So I don't think, you know, unless we catch a ref show, there should be a lot of fouls in this game. I think the under has some value based on what everybody just saw. I think that this total may get bet up even more. Uh, I'm likely to look at the under in this game. I love the under here too. I mean, I gave a side pick on every game in that primer, but I said, you know, straight up in my breakdown of this one, the under is what I like. I mean, first and foremost, you know, as you get deeper into this tournament, as the stakes increase, usually the pace kind of slows down. Teams don't want to make mistakes. Everybody plays a little bit tighter. Everyone's a little more focused on defense. So just by default, you tend to get lower scoring games. Second, there's a lot of familiarity here between these two teams. I mean, they only played once during the regular season this year, but they usually play twice against each other during a traditional regular season. So a lot of familiarity. This is not a spot where Dana Altman is going to reinvent the wheel like he did against Iowa. He's just not going to do it. He's going to do you know what he feels like his team does the best and what gives him the best chance to beat USC. And I do think, I mean, look, maybe there's a chance that he goes, you know what? Let's run the floor and let's try and tire out the Mobley brothers and get them off the floor. Maybe he does do that. And, and if he does, that's another one of those potential coaching savant moves that could potentially work out for him. But until we see that taking place, 
it's not something that I'd be willing to bet on. So I do like the under quite a bit here in this one as well. By the way, USC making those 11 threes in that game against Kansas, only the fourth time this season they've hit at least 10 threes in a game. So you definitely do have to look for some offensive regression from the Trojans, at least in the distance shooting department. Yeah, that's a good stat. And um, I, I agree with you. There is at least a chance that Altman decides to run here because it didn't work the first game playing a slow pace game. So it's, it's possible. Having said that, even if they play a little bit faster, it's not a free over in a game like this because both of these teams are really good defensively. So, you know, just the fact that you've assumed they will play faster than they did the first time. The first game was only 62 possessions. So I would assume a, a faster pace than that. But, you know, you get up to 140, um, I'm thinking the under has some value here based on the uh, quality of the two defenses and the fact that I don't think either team's going to get great shots in this one. So uh, I'll take my chances with the under here. I agree with that. I think it's definitely the way to look in that one. And again, I mean, maybe Altman has it in the toolbox. I don't know, but it would certainly take some serious stones to do that again, where the reason primarily that he did it against Iowa was because he knew Iowa couldn't stop him. USC, a much, much, much better defensive team than the Hawkeyes, but I'll tell you what, man, that, that'll be one of my long-lasting memories from this tournament. I know everyone's looking at Cinderella's and, you know, obviously Little Chicago, what they did to Illinois. What I will remember for a long time is Dana Altman just saying F it and scoring 95 points on Iowa. Just absolute coaching brilliance there in that one. As I said, we're going to try and, and do something probably next Monday, I, I would say, uh, you know, in advance here of the Elite Eight games, which will start a little bit later in the day. But, uh, you know, obviously with the, the different schedule format, a little bit tougher here for this season. Anything else you want to add before we sign off for today? No, I mean, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, the rest of this season. I think it was fun also to be able to break down the games a little bit more in depth here, you know, because a lot of times we talk about general thoughts that I think can be very helpful to betters. But, you know, when there's less games, it's easier for us to break down the game uh, in depth. And we'll be able to do that here going forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then two weeks uh, from Monday, well, a week from next Monday, we'll have Kyle on to talk about the national championship game, but also get some of his thoughts on Major League Baseball. He's also a very good MLB handicapper. So we'll get some of his thoughts here. And then we'll we'll sort of finish up our shows. He'll take a little bit of a break. I'll keep doing the solo betters box. So we had a couple more weeks left of full shows, then the national championship game. And then it'll mostly be just myself. And then my shows with Brian, where we talk golf and NASCAR and all those different types of things. But Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. And what's going on over there right now, man? Well, first, I'm going to say that uh, this week, I'm going to be spending a lot of time reading Adam's uh, MLB betters guide. So, uh, you know, that's something where uh, I always enjoy reading that. And, you know, I didn't really have time last week, obviously, with March Madness going crazy. But looking forward to diving into Major League Baseball more here this week and uh, seeing his thoughts. And I I encourage everybody to do that if you haven't already as well. Um, Over at huntersportsfix.com, free picks. You can sign up for the free pick newsletter. I uh, sent one out last week there on Rutgers against Clemson. That did cash 105 and 72 last 177 free plays. I will send something over here later this week for the sweet 16 as well. So if you haven't signed up for that, 
please do so. You can find my premium packages there, 199 bucks for the rest of my college hoops plays. That does include NIT and CBI. Uh, I do have a CBI play up for tonight. Uh, those tournaments are not as big as normal based on COVID, obviously, but there still will be some plays from that. And then obviously we still have uh, quite a few games here left in the, the big tournament. So uh, you can check out everything over there at huntersportspicks.com and at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Yes, of course you have a pick. Uh, is it is it Stetson Coastal or is it uh, Pepperdine and Bellarmine? Pepperdine Bellarmine. Oh, so, love it. That uh, yeah. boy. I, uh, it warms high my profile heart. game, right? <laughs> it warms my heart. A very high profile game. Hell of a line movement on that one tonight, too, by the way, uh, which is definitely something interesting for that. All right, man. Great show. Always fun to chat with Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. And thank you so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, man. Take care. There you go. Once again, at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter, Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com coming up on wednesday we'll talk some more college basketball for the sweet 16 with kiev o'neill from the odds breakers thursday brad powers will join me for his sweet 16 thoughts and some fcs and then friday uh, looks like another edition of the betters box talking about the national league west now do it for me thank you so much for listening everybody and i will talk to you again tomorrow step into the world of power loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.